We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, how are we doing today? <laughs> IB countdown to kickoff. We are up and running. We, we have uh, we've made it behind some technical glitches. Vince and I both had to restart our computers, even though like he could apparently see and he hear me on his end of the video. <laughs> All I saw was a black swirling <coughs> dot That's on not my good. end. But here we are. We here are ready we are. To go. <laughs> it's amazing to me because literally we don't use our. I don't use this computer for anything else but this i literally right. open it up turn it on and go nothing has changed i i don't know yeah that's right that's right you know it's just the glories of technology the yes, more sir. you know the more we do this the more we you know find the glitches we try to find what works but you know <laughs> it seems like we inadvertently find more glitches than anything i but know we're, we're good at that Here's what we know. We've got Notre Dame and BYU coming up in Las Vegas tonight. Shamrock Series, 11th edition. We're going to get into all kinds of stuff along those lines as uh, Notre Dame comes out of its bye. It's been two weeks, of course, since they've played. Here's what I know. My weekend is off to a good start because leg one of my five-game parlay hit last night. Nice. If you remember, it was Rutgers and Nebraska. And even though Rutgers lost 14 to 13, I had them plus three to start off my parlay. So there it is. All I was praying was that Nebraska was not going to go down and kick some meaningless field goal, you know, to make it a four point game at the end. And they ended up Rutgers threw an interception with a little bit less than a minute to go. And Nebraska just had to kneel on it a couple Beautiful. of times and boom, I'm Beautiful. a winner. And three other games in my five leg parlay are noon kickoffs today. You know, so. It's it's funny because you know we were putting together our picks that we're gonna do towards the end of the game or the end of the show, and they're all noon kickoffs, every single one of them. And a lot so of noon kickoffs today. There's a lot of noon kickoffs today, and you know whether people want it to be that way or not. LSU, there, there's a ton of <laughs> noon kickoffs, and so there's going to be right. a lot of good football here. As soon as we sign off, you have to get the multi screens going, man, or, or at least be real good with the remote going back and forth. Because I know I think there's going to be some some good football being played. 
and that includes Kansas and TCU with that early kickoff. And yeah, of course, buddy. game day is there. And Salty, our old friend Salty Virginia Peanuts, is already in and ready to go. And he asked if game day picked the right spot on campus for the show. And they did. It was they've got it where they've got it. If you can see in the background, it's it's called like the Campanile. It's the, like the big tower. Yeah, it's the okay. tower. It's called the Campanile. Mm. It sits at the top of the hill, and that is located on the south end of the stadium, Memorial okay. Stadium. And in 1991, when I was a freshman at the University of Kansas, that side of the stadium, there was nothing there. It was open. And okay. what the students, like me, used to do, you could take your cooler of beverage, there you, and you could sit up on the hill and watch the game for free oh. with your beverage, not have to pay for anything. But by the next year, they had put in, you know, because the team was halfway decent under Glenn Mason back then, 91, 92, 93. They were, you know, they had decent years anyway, you know, like they went to an Aloha Bowl, won some games and all that kind of stuff. But they closed off the stadium, put in other seating at that end of the stadium. So you had to pay, of course, to get in. You couldn't, you know, because of, uh, you know, how high the, the the seating was, you couldn't see over the seating. So I was able to do that for at least a year anyway. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a perfect spot. Good backdrop. And like, if you went to the, what would that be? A little bit to the east. That's where my wife and I first lived, our first apartment. There's some trees that you'll kind of see. And at the top, you know, to the east, there's like, there's a student union building and stuff like that. We lived in a, in a little house apartment over nice. there. And we actually met, like, if you go the other way to the northwest, that I lived in apartments that were right on that side as well. So I lived within about a 10 minute walk of the stadium, two different spots that I lived there when, uh, when I was at, I, at the university of, Kansas. I need to circle back here to when you were a freshman in 1991. Okay. Because is, to answer Craig's question, oh, this is no. the first time yeah. game day has been, at they've been there Go a ahead. bunch of times for basketball, but not for football. So, right. Right. I, but I need to circle back because you joined the army out of high school you right. must have been one of the most popular freshmen on campus when it comes to filling those coolers <laughs> with beverages. This That's, just dawned on me just now. I was an old man, you know, and what I didn't what I didn't count on, you know, going back to school after four years in the army was was like sort of the stigma that comes with being the non-trad, you know, the non-traditional student. Yeah, you get true. you get kind of labeled that. All my roommates were pretty much like a couple guys. Um, you know, to start off with that, I, that I lived with were, were guys from my hometown. One of them was, one of them was, I think he had just finished school and the other was like me. He was, you know, a good buddy of mine in the army as well. We had both gone in, you know, so we were kind of in, in that boat, you know, but, uh, you're right. It's like, just saying, I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried Trade Coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about Trade Coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before. Because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month, to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection. The rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee, 
the full flavor of the black velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash irish. That's drinktrade.com slash irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You must have been pretty popular to younger br- younger brothers and you know you know the other people you know in in the apartment complex who maybe weren't quite of age. <laughs> well, a little ten yeah. percent cut, you know. I mean, hey, That's I'll do right. this for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch That's yours, right. kind of a thing, you know. <laughs> my my now wife, then girlfriend, she was not quite of age, so. <laughs> I don't know why I never thought about that before. Yeah. That, you know, that it just never dawned on me. I like I knew all the pieces and parts, but it never dawned on me that you were probably pretty popular. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into this Notre Dame BYU matchup with yeah, this is the first ever visit for football college game day to the University of Kansas today. And they did. They picked a great spot with the Campanile. That's a yeah. very popular spot up there on top of the hill. And the Kansas fans turned out, man. I mean, they did. They always they did. do for game day, but they they turned out for this. And it's that's uh, right. I it it from what I was able to watch, obviously we're doing the show now, but from what I was able to watch at nine o'clock, you know, they they turned out. It was a good crowd. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. As as you would expect, Kansas and TCU going at it, both yeah. unbeaten today. Sonny Dykes, first year head coach, Lance Leopold, second year head coach, and you know, got things turned around. Yeah, in year two for Notre Dame. It's BYU and the yes. Shamrock series in Vegas tonight, 730 tonight. And this is the first meeting between these two teams since 2013 when Tommy Reese, current offensive coordinator, was still the Notre Dame quarterback. Do you remember that game? Vaguely. I have vague memories. I have vague memories of that game. <laughs> yeah, v- very vague memories of that game. And I 
I mean, I remember obviously Tommy Reese being the quarterback and, you know, all of that. And I remember BYU. It just doesn't feel like it was that long ago, you know, because haven't they, if I'm not mistaken, haven't they been trying to schedule this game for a while? Been working on it. Yeah. And they finally, it's supposed to be BYU's home game. And now it's a Shamrock series game. Right. Right. And like UNLV is part of the, you know, and there were other, like all these different things that came about because of like rearranging schedules and moving games and stuff like that, you know, that are, that are part of this whole thing. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Like this is, you know, this was supposed to be BYU's home game, but it's not going to be the home game. It's, but they're still going to get, you know, some pretty nice revenue. Oh, this whole thing when it's all said and done. And they're wearing the dark Jersey. So we'll pretend that they're the home team. That's right. So. They get to sell some more product as a result of being that's, in this game, right? <laughs> that's a solid point. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not a BYU aficionado, but I'm guessing this is the first time in a long time that they've worn black uniforms. And one thing I found interesting as I was watching this morning, and they were doing a preview talking about uniforms. They kind of go back and forth between more of a lighter blue and then a darker blue. Yeah, like they haven't really figured out what their shade of blue is. Like that seems odd to me. I like this lighter blue. I like this lighter blue. Like I think the blue that they're like that they were wearing a couple weeks ago was more like like when Ty Detmer was still the quarterback, like late eighties, early nineties, yeah. yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, so there's like a, there's like a dark navy, and then there was like a royal that they kind of go with. Those are two pretty distinctively right. different blues. You know what I mean? And so right. I always find it interesting. People kind of play fast and loose with their uh, their, <laughs> with their colors. colors. Yeah, it's very interesting just to sell that swag, baby. Well, and like Notre Dame's Notre Dame's blue has pretty much remained constant. It's just Agreed. pretty much navy blue. But like, you know, like it is kind of interesting as you look back through the years, even like back to the Charlie Weiss era and and kind of that. You know, like you can see just the subtle tweaks. You know, sure. from going from like the champion to the That's Adidas into the Under Armour. Now and the greens, the greens, the have greens have varied over the years. Yeah, yes, I agree yeah. with that. The greens have varied, and I guess you could say the golds have varied too when it comes to the helmets and the pants. And we that, right. that I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. And that's people, a completely but, different, you know, people with yeah. the, the mustard colored pants yeah. and all that. I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I just I just thought it was different because it's two distinctly different blues. You know what I mean? And right. uh, it's like almost like an Air Force blue versus a Michigan blue, for example. Like it was just. I don't know. It seems odd that they would go that direction, but Hey, whatever, whatever sells jerseys in the bookstore. Right? No, I agree. I agree. I I think that you can, uh, you can definitely see the differences there. And I'm, I'm trying to, uh, again, with, with the computer stuff that we had going yeah. this morning, I've got, you're all ready to go. Like, you actually had stuff loaded up. You were ready. And, and now everything. Yeah. It's, <laughs> now it's all blown. Got to reboot and open all these windows back up again. We, you know, all this different stuff that nobody cares. It would help if we just had a producer. Like, you Ooh, know, solid. maybe that's the next step for these podcasts yeah. is, is like, you know, we have a producer that handles all the technical stuff and we just click in and. That'd be beautiful. You know? <laughs> That'd be beautiful. The Driscoll Publishing Empire is, you know, it's growing. That's right. So we'll see. That's right. We'll have to yes. find somebody to do that. That's right. Well, of course, Notre Dame's two and two. After its second straight win a couple of weeks ago with that 45-32 win over North Carolina. And we're not going to get into all that because we basically spent the last two weeks <laughs> getting into all that. But Notre Dame did come out with an offensive explosion in that game. The 24 points that they scored in the second quarter alone against the Tar Heels matched their season high from the four for a game for the, <laughs> you know, for the first three games 
of the season. 576 yards of total offense, 289 passing, 287 on the ground. So I guess, Vince, does the timing of the bye, do you think it impacts kind of the groove, especially offensively, they were starting to get into? Normally, I'm not a fan of a bye just because it does hinder some of your groove, as you put it, right? Some offensive groove, not necessarily the defense, but I think more the offense. But for this particular team in this particular situation, I think it's going to be super beneficial. Uh, You know, they're dealing with a new quarterback. Yes, he has two games under his belt, but he doesn't have a ton of time with those wide receivers, for example. You know, and I think that the the bye week is going to be beneficial to that, you know, working on the timing and doing all of the different things, making sure that, you know, the linemen are used to your cadence. And, you know, there's just a million different things that when you change quarterbacks, things change. And from the offense specifically, different plays are being called, right? And so they need to get used to, like the offensive line, for example, they need to get used to hearing different plays and executing those plays and all of that. So <clears throat> I do feel like for this particular team, it's going to help them, not hinder them. I think it, it actually fell. Again, I'm not usually a fan of a bye week after week four, but in this instance, in this specific situation, I think it benefits Notre Dame from having a bye right here. And they can kind of push the reset button to a degree, understand who they are, where they're going, you know, that sort of thing. And then just, you know, hit the gas pedal starting with BYU. So I think it, it is beneficial. No, I agree. And before we go any further, just the uh, friendly reminder, hit the like button if you would, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff, but uh, hit the like button. I see we've got more people joining in right now, so good to have you because we've got the, uh, we always start at 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. Eastern time, of course, even though it's a later game tonight, but glad to have you with us. And yeah, as far as the buy, like I think perfect world, it would typically come at least at the halfway point of the season, if not even, you know, maybe a little bit past the halfway point of the season. And that's that's where most of the buys have fallen in recent years. You know, you, you've typically seen them. Because, like, when I was kind of going back and looking at the last 12 years or so, like, USC has been involved either right before or right after Notre that's Dame's true. buy quite a bit. And that typically is the mid-October game. You know, like when mm-hmm. USC comes to South Bend, you know, that – that kind of thing. And, you know, I think that 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 is typically best case, but I agree with what you're saying there, like in terms of Notre Dame, and you look at the fact that they have some technical things to clean up and some things that you're talking about with, you know, with, with the receivers and community, you know, all that different stuff that, that you mentioned there. I think it's actually a pretty good point because it gives them, it's like, okay, we're starting to trend in a much better direction. We're starting to clean some things up. But now we can spend that extra week working on some of our own stuff while also, you know, maybe mixing in a little bit of BYU. And then they get to spend, obviously, this last week after the bye working specifically on sure. And then, you know, like some little little things, you know, like like Ramon Henderson and DJ Brown, you know, both kind of getting some time to get healthy. And, and even though Michael Mayer was playing – and I think Michael Mayer is always going to be banged up to an extent just because of the way he plays. So he was able to, you know, kind of rest a little bit during that first week as well. No, I, I mean, look, there's always going to be nagging injuries that the bye week is going to help with, right? You get that extra week, you get those extra days off. I think they 
what they practiced through Wednesday or was it through Thursday? You would know this better than I would. Uh, you're, you're laughing at the meatloaf comment, aren't you? Yes, I am. I Salty so. says, Sean is a timeless treasure. He's the Coupe de Ville hiding at the bottom of the cracker chat box. Rip meatloaf. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, but no, I, I think that, you know, no matter where the bye week is, you're always going to get benefits from an injury healing situation, right? And and yeah. you you mentioned a couple of the guys that are really benefiting from this. I think Michael Mayer can benefit from this as well. I think he was a, a little bit dinged up, but to be understood because he gets hammered across the middle all the time. And he's yeah. obviously inline blocking and all of that. So I, I think it's going to be beneficial no matter where you place it. That three weeks from now or two weeks from now where the normal bye week would be, I'm sure we could say, well, it would be nice if so-and-so and so-and-so had an extra week off. I mean, like I said, there's always going to be somebody that can benefit injury-wise, but just because of the quarterback situation and things like that, this is the best spot this year. I wouldn't do this as a regular thing. I, I would still like it kind of that mid-October to late-October. I think yes. that's yes. much better from a coaching standpoint, from a program standpoint, but it just so happened that it worked out really well this this time. Yeah, because now the question is, you're going to have two straight months of football. So, you know, you're going to be kind of wishing that you had a buy a little bit later for all, you know, you're going to have more guys getting dinged up as the season goes on. You hope that's not going to be a concern, but you just never know, you know, right. like injuries can pop up, obviously, at any moment, you know, so that that could could become a thing. We'll kind of have to we'll, we, we just we, we won't know until we know basically, because now we're sitting here early October and, and like I said, eight consecutive games on the schedule as opposed to maybe five, six, seven right. down the stretch because it's not split right down the middle. So with them coming out of this bye now, what do you need to see from them coming out of the bye week? Well, we've kind of talked about it a, a bunch, like not necessarily this week, but from a, I mean, coming out of Marshall, right? And then you know, Cal and North Carolina, like what were we looking for? Well, we needed to see steady improvement every week. Now, specifically to that, the offensive line had a, has had a really good two weeks for them, right? They have gotten better for the last two weeks. The biggest question mark is, was it an anomaly because they were playing, you know, really 11 guys defense. that they found <laughs> in the parking lot? You know what I mean? Like that, right. like... Is that going, you know, is this an anomaly? It was the North Carolina game an anomaly for the offensive line. I don't think it was because no matter who you play, when you watch the film, you can see if guys are fundamentally doing things the right way. And they were. It wasn't just my guys are better than your guys and they don't need to have their fundamentals down. Right. Their fundamentals were solid. And there was a clear rise in play from week three to week four there still needs to be a clear rise from week four to week five or game four to game five I should say for this offensive line it needs to they need to take advantage of a BYU team that doesn't stop the run very well and whether that improvement shows up in the stat book or not you know we'll be able to watch the game and see if they're continuing to do what they do if the communication is better they're picking up blitzes you know, the the twists, the stunts, you know, all of that. If they can continue to get better at that, I think this team is going to be just fine offensively moving forward because everything plays off of what the offensive line is going to be able to do. Yeah, I, I agree. We need to see the offensive line continuing to show 
what it is now you know like there there are some comments you know like jason saying playing byu is like playing a bunch of 30 year old power lifters i mean byu's defense is going to be better and their offense sure. is going to be absolutely well, i won't say their offense is going to be better than north carolina it'll be no, the defense pretty will, close to on par but yeah the defense should be better even though they have shown that their weakness is against the run and that's something sure. that we'll kind of get into here in a little bit but i mean specific not just this game need to see we need to see a continued evolution of the offense. We all know we need to see more of the wide receivers getting involved. And I, I mean, like if we look specifically at how this offense has evolved, we are seeing the running backs, Chris Tyree, Audric Estimate, Logan Diggs, essentially taking over the role, like, like making up for the fact that the wide receivers – have not been as big, you know, sure. as big a part of the offense as they need to be. So, I mean, it goes without saying, we need to see a continued evolution of the offense, the offensive line continuing to ascend, the running backs continuing to do what they're doing. But we also need to see the wide receivers become a bigger part of this. Oh, offense. there's just no two ways about that. You're 100% correct. And whether that means bringing in Tobias Mer Merriweather, which everybody obviously we wants. Can, we can we can get into see. that right now if you want to. I mean, that <laughs> obviously we all want to see that. There's no question. But if they're not going to use them, and I, I don't want to tick anybody off, but if they're not going to use them, they need to use the ones that they have better. And, you know, it's not, you know, I listened to Brian kind of do, you know, go off on not a tangent, but he was talking about, you know, everybody's, downplaying of the wide receiver play right now and how they're no good and all this other stuff. Well, to a degree that is accurate, but also the quarterbacks, both quarterbacks aren't hitting guys that are open either. That's and true. so we can complain all we want about them not getting separation and not getting off the line. And, and that's a valid argument. Okay. But there's been times where Braden Lindsay has had steps on guys. There's been times where Braden Lindsay has been 10 yards open. a la the end of the first half against Marshall, Right. The quarterbacks need to hit those guys. They need to make the plays when the plays are there to be made, and they haven't really done that. And so, yes, is it a wide receiver problem? Yes, it is. They're, they're, part of that is. But the quarterbacks also need to make plays and get them the ball when they're open. You need to take advantage of those opportunities. So is it a Tommy Reese scheme thing? Yeah, he can scheme to get these guys open a little bit more. Absolutely. I think we saw that in games three and four a lot better. But you got to make the plays when they're there to be made, too. And so it's a wide receiver problem. It's a quarterback problem. And it's a bit of an offensive coordinator problem. They need to get the wide receivers more involved. With all that being said, of course, I want to see number 15 on the field making plays. No doubt about it. He's an explosive playmaker. We've seen it in practice. Everything we hear from the defensive kids is that they hate going up against him in practice. This is a pretty good secondary for Notre Dame. If they hate going up against him, can you imagine what other secondaries are going to think going up against him? Yeah. You need to get him in the game. That goes without saying. But they, they need to also scheme better and execute better to get the wide receivers involved. No, I mean, and all of those things are intertwined. And, you know, how right. much of one and how much of the other. But, like, Styles had five catches for 69 yards against North Carolina. It's the most – the 69 yards is the most yardage an Irish receiver has had in a game so far this season and you know like so like when you look at whether or not Tobias Mer Merriweather 
is going to be involved. And everyone wants to see Tobias Merriweather. And, you know, we, we hear all these reasons. Marcus Freeman says, well, guys like Merriweather, you know, if you're not getting enough playing time, you need to be communicating one with your position coach and or your coordinator. So Tommy Reese says, well, the communication's not a problem with Tobias Merriweather. They've got communication. Yeah. They see things that they liked. And, you know, he's talked about game flow being a reason for, you know, for not, you know, like, well, we had these plans for Tobias, but game flow, you know, dictated that we, you know, that he, that he couldn't play more. Well, okay. I get that again, to an extent, but Styles, Lindsay, Jaden Thomas, Matt Salerno are the only four Irish receivers with a catch so far this season. And through four games, they have 29 total catches. The wide receivers as a group, those four guys, 29 total catches for 364 yards. Right. It represents about 42% of the team's receiving total this season. And then you look at the fact that according to Pro Football Focus, PFF, Merriweather has played the second fewest snaps of any of the top 20 receivers in the nation to date. And like you look at the top four receivers in the nation, of those freshmen have around 200 snaps. That's basically Lorenzo Styles type you know, on the field, the snaps, you know, the workload that he's got. And then a good deal of those guys have played at least 50 snaps, which is basically 10 times what Tobias Merriweather has had. So when you look at the fact that the receivers are not producing and, you know, again, you can, yes, you can factor the quarterbacks into it, but that's going to happen. Yeah. That's going to happen anywhere. You can factor the quarterbacks into it. But when you look at the fact that this has not been a downfield offense, you've got, you just, you've got to find a way to get someone like Tobias Merriweather on the field more. No doubt about it. And I, I do want to – there was a, a comment that I wanted to bring up from Michael Eakin. He said, the wide receiver room is so thin, we saw this before the season, not surprising. I don't think it has anything to do with the amount of people in the room. It's just the people aren't producing. I mean – And that's the thing. If the guys on the field aren't – you know, if that's the production that they have and you have this talent who's also 6'4", good hands, and can run – and we've talked about it over and over and over again. You know, they can talk about packages like Salty is saying right now. You know, they can talk about packages and all this stuff all they want. He has a skill set. You've got to find a way to use the skill set. You know, if you're mad because he didn't go in motion when he was supposed right. to go in motion and then Drew Pine got blown up on a run play because Tobias Merriweather was supposed to be the lead blocker, maybe somebody else, a more veteran guy like Matt Salerno, should have been the you know design blocker in that situation. And Again, as we've said, till we're blue in the face, getting Tobias Merriweather on the field, there's really, it's not much more complicated than saying, okay, you go line up on the left side and you're running a go route on this right. play. You run a line up on the yeah. right side and you're running a post on this play. He shouldn't be involved in all that other stuff where Great. it's like, okay, now you've got to go in motion and be a blocker. Let right. the veterans be that guy. Let Tobias Merriweather be the guy. Here's what you're doing. Go do it. It shouldn't be much more complicated than that well and i agree with you and and, but and and just to answer this question here it's to me it's not like they've exhausted everybody in the room and they're still looking for more production they're not playing everybody in the room so the thinness of the room i don't think has anything to do with it yeah because like we haven't seen joe wilkins Colsey, you know any of those guys that much either so i i you know yes there was an argument about how thin the room was going into the season i don't think that plays into this at all to be honest with you, because they're not using everybody in the room and then thinking to themselves, man, I wish we had more guys. So, I, you know, I agree that it was an issue and that they need more scholarship wide receivers, but they had an opportunity to bring Xavier Watts over. 
He's not. And that's he's not a wide receiver anymore. Week. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, like we really didn't know. And I asked Marcus Freeman about that. So what's going on? Because like he was asked about you know young receivers, and he right. started talking about like listing off all these guys. And and then there was another question where he was talking about Xavier Watts as a defensive player, and I said, well. You talked about him as a defensive player. You didn't mention him when you mentioned these other receivers. So what's going on? And he said, well, by the way, Watts is not a receiver anymore. Yeah. He's only playing safety. So we okay. know Xavier Watts is not part of that either. You know, So like eliminate him from that. But that also just means that there should be more opportunities for a guy like Merriweather or Colsey or Wilkins for that Absolutely. matter, assuming they're all healthy. And we haven't seen much of any of the three of them. And right. the mistake that Tobias made in one of his four snaps on the season, I have seen the other wide receivers that get multiple snaps, many, 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 many snaps, make way more egregious errors than that, and they get run right back out there. So yeah. it can't just be about one mistake. You know what I mean? Why, why are we holding Tobias Merriweather, a freshman that didn't even early enroll to a higher standard than we are the the veterans who are just trying to lower a shoulder into somebody to block or running a half a route off the line of scrimmage because they know the ball's not coming to them. You know, like why why is he being held to a higher standard? It's ridiculous. And we've seen it at Notre Dame for years and years and years and years at the wide receiver position. It's a problem. Period. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, the offensive coordinator, the, the philosophy under Brian Kelly, you know, the offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, played for Brian Kelly. He obviously coached under Brian Kelly. And it does seem to be the lingering, you know, sort of mindset, you know, that you have to know everything if you're going to be a receiver to get out there yeah. on the field. But, right. again, I keep going back. I'll, I'll use Golden Tate as an example because I know – now, granted, it was, you know, again, it was a different coaching staff, but they the – concept would, is like, the same. Yeah, they would line Golden Tate up, you know, wherever he was going to be on the field, they would line him up closest to the Notre Dame sideline, and they would yell at him from the sideline, this is what you're going to do. Or they would go to a huddle, and sometimes they would literally draw things up, this is what you're going to do. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you want to get talent on the field, you can get talent on the field. Well, as Pedro Martinez famously said about the Yankees, that they were his daddy. Right. We know who Tommy Reese's daddy is and it, <laughs> the, the the shadow is long. I mean, and it looms large and we're seeing the same issues that we saw before. And again, that's disturbing. I don't like it. It needs to change. It needs to change. I'll just say that it needs to change. However, that change comes about. It needs to change. Yes. Well, some other personnel notes from this week, beginning with the news late in the week that Jacob Lacey is going to transfer. And I'll play the the clip here real quick from Marcus Freeman discussing that. Part of the team, um, he'll look to transfer uh, probably at the end of the season after the semester's over. I think you'll see um, Chris Smith playing a little bit more, who, who, again, it's just a position that's extremely deep. And the deepest to tackle position right now is is – is one of the deepest positions we have on our team. And so Chris Smith will play a little bit more, um, but you'll see a guy like Gabe Rubio playing more. Um, you know, Jason Anye will now probably move from scout team. He's moved from scout team to, you know, getting reps with the, the defense. And so, um, again, Lacey, 
was a, a, a great player. You know, Lacey did a lot of great things for us, but it's a deep position. And, and um, he made a decision um, that ultimately he felt was best for him. And, and we respect it. We love Jacob. And, you know, the best thing about it is he leaves here with a degree in his hand. And that's what I want for these young men is that if you decide to leave in, in, in hopes of going somewhere and playing more, don't 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 waste this opportunity to earn a degree from this university. And so he did that. But, you know, again, you'll see Chris Smith play more. You'll see uh, uh, Gabe Rubio for sure. Both of those two play a lot more. So Jacob Lacey gone. And, uh, you know, it, it is a deep position. The, the, the nose guard position, defensive tackle is a deep position. Um, he, he played in only four games this season. So again, you know, he'll get to, to go on. He preserves his, his year of eligibility He'll He'll have right. two years. It's just weird that a guy like him could come on, have a gangbusters game yeah. like he did against Cal. And then, you know, two games later, he's being replaced by Gabe Rubio and he's gone. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it It's funny how the depth chart works out. I don't, I don't know if Gabe Rubio is just playing out of his mind. If Jacob Lacey has come down to earth a little bit, you know, I just, I don't know what the dynamic is because we're not at practice. I mean, we don't see right. it, but the snap count doesn't lie. I mean, his, his snaps have not been great the past couple, you know, or at least the last game specifically. And I would think, and again, this is me speculating, but I, I would think that before he made this decision, he went and talked to his position coach, coach Washington, to his head coach, to the defensive coordinator and said, Hey, I got four snaps or whatever, whatever the number was, uh, you know, in the last game against against North Carolina. Hey, I got four snaps. I'm, I'm seeing a trend here. Where do you see this going for the rest of the year? And and I would also hope that the coaches were honest with him and they said, hey, you know, Gabe is playing really well right now. We want to get him on the field. And, you know, unfortunately, that's going to take some snaps away from you. And, you know, we know you're a team guy, blah, 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 blah. And then Jacob went home, talked to his family and decided, hey. I'm not getting the opportunity that I want to showcase my skills. I've already played in four games this year. I got to make a decision right now as to whether I need to leave or I need to stay. And he used the bye week to his advantage and he made that decision. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, he got his degree, which is awesome. I agree with coach Freeman. He took advantage of his opportunity at Notre Dame. And now he gets two years to showcase whatever ability that he has for NFL scouts to further his dream of playing professionally. So yeah. I, I don't I don't fault the kid, but it is questionable that he would have such a great game just two games ago and now right. he's transferring. It, it's just mind the game of his career two games ago. Yes. Five tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss. He was literally blowing up the cow offensive line. And the next thing you know, he's gone. And now the other we did see a little bit more Rubio against North Carolina, you know, the game right after that obviously. And then by the time the depth chart came out this Monday, Rubio was listed at number two on the, right. on the depth chart at nose guard. And one thing Marcus Freeman also said was during the bye week, in addition to practicing fairly physically, you know, getting guys out there and really kind of challenging each other. They, they also toward the end of practices would kind of give some of these young guys more opportunities. So who knows if, you know, again, like, if either Rubio is getting more opportunity, you know, showing himself right. prior to that, which he probably was since he was already in against North Carolina. But then all of a sudden the depth chart really starts shifting, yeah. you know, as maybe some guys started to open some eyes during that off week. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, obviously this is going to be a great opportunity for Gabriel Rubio. 
He is a guy that I think we've all been high on since he stepped on campus and hasn't gotten an opportunity yet to show what he can do in a game on a consistent basis. So this is going to be a great opportunity for him. And I agree with Marcus Freeman. It's a very deep position. Yeah. And there, you know, there's guys to replace them. The fact that Jason Onye was on the scout team says all you need to know to me about how deep that position was. Right. Yeah. And I do want to bring this up. Uh, Zach Martin says Riley went inside a lot too. He was inside, but he, he was at the other defensive tackle position. The three techniques. Like, yeah. Right. Whereas like, like the, like when I kind of went back and watched some of the North Carolina, you would see Riley Mills along with, um, why is his name escaping me off the top? Howard Cross. <laughs> For some reason, I couldn't think of Howard Cross. Right. And I've got my depth chart right over here. But yeah, Howard Cross, of course, who is the second leading tackler on the team right now. With, yeah. I mean, like he has been a bit like when we talk about the nose guard, you absolutely. talk about a pleasant surprise what Howard Cross has brought to this team so far. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. And I think. You know, again, it's going to open up other opportunities on the inside for a lot of other guys. We saw Riley Mills and what he did against North Carolina playing that inside. I still think he's better on the edge, but when you put him next to Isaiah Foskey, I mean, good things happened. So I think you're going to see more of that, to be honest. You're just with creating, you. like, a spe- yeah. you know, when you've got those guys like that, it's like, who are we going to block? And that gives, it just gives everybody more opportunity, especially sure. when they're Absolutely. excelling the way they're already excelling. It puts a lot of speed and a lot of agility on the defensive line. And I mean, when you're twisting and stunting like that, when you you take Isaiah Foskey and you stunt him inside and you bring Riley Mills all the way around the outside and he still has time to go and stack the quarterback, you're going to see more of that today. I can promise you that. Absolutely. Uh, Some other personnel stuff. DJ Brown, Ramon Henderson, the two safeties should both be available tonight. So like Xavier Watts got more playing time against Carolina, but that was in part because Henderson didn't play at all because right. of an ankle. DJ Brown played and then tweaked a hamstring. So those guys, according to Marcus Freeman, should both be available tonight. But we also know that we're not going to see J.D. Bertrand in the first half once again. They appealed Bertrand's targeting call to the NCAA. Tim Priester asked Marcus Freeman about that at the press conference this week, and here's how that kind of back and forth went. And what was the result of that? Deny. <laughs> Did you get feedback, or it's just a, a no? They said that in their um, in their opinion, that was a uh, a targeting penalty, and they denied our appeal, and uh, he'll be out for the first half of this so, game. So, so actually, hitting with the face mask is <laughs> it's not legal. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll save my opinion, okay. um, but yeah, we we felt like we had a strong appeal, and uh, it was denied. Yeah, so uh, I thought that, yeah, like Tim, you know, Tim pretty much summed it up. So hitting with the face mask is a penalty. And what's interesting is there was a BYU player in the Utah State game last week. I don't know if you saw this. He was ejected for targeting, and his was literally a helmet-to-helmet hit, unlike Bertrand's, where Bertrand's face mask. And it was chest. Yeah, into into the, you know, like chest and shoulders, where Bertrand's was with his face mask. BYU player was literal helmet to helmet hit. They appealed and he's going to play tonight. Wow. So completely different kind of hit, but his, his, his appeal, you know, got got overturned and he's going to get to play tonight. Well, I don't know, man. Welcome Uh, to the NCAA, man. I mean, that, that's really all there is to it. They, they are, they are not consistent with any rulings whatsoever, frankly. I mean, nothing 
Never not, have been, never will be. When it comes to transfer, which obviously doesn't matter anymore, but like their their transfer rulings were ridiculous. You know, uh, their their rulings on targeting are ridiculous. The rule of targeting is ridiculous all by itself. Uh, but no, I, just, I'm sorry. It, the fact that he's not playing is is ridiculous. The first one, two games ago, totally agreed with. That was targeting. Right. That was stupid. Should not have done that. This one, ridiculous. I'm that, that, that one was ridiculous. Yep, completely agree. But here we are. So Bertrand's going to have to sit are. out for the first half again tonight. <laughs> and it, you Man. know, like I said earlier this week, that if they're not going to overturn Bertrand's, I don't see him overturning many. But then you, you saw this hit that this BYU player had, which again, which was textbook helmet to helmet. I don't know how that gets, you know, the appeal gets, you know, they, they overturn the call and now right. he's going to get to play. It's, it's just baffling to me, you know, so no sense. Notre Dame's going to have to live with it. And what Marcus Freeman said in the immediate moments after the North Carolina game is Bertrand is just going to apparently have to figure out a different way to tackle because what he's doing right now is not working for him. This is two games in a row. This is the first time I can remember where two games in a row, yeah. a guy's going to have to sit out for Notre Dame specifically is going to have to sit out the first half. And he hardly played at all in the second half of the last I know. game. I mean, and he came in and he made a play right away, forcing that fumble. Yeah, as that's soon right. As he got on the field in the second half. That's right. And then he was out. I mean, it was it, just ridiculous. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. And to a degree, Marcus Freeman is right, though. I mean, defensive players have had to adjust their game because of targeting for the past, what, five, ten years anyway? And it it changes the way you do things. It just does. Now, it's a safer way to tackle. I mean, when when you're eight years old and you're learning to play tackle football, what do they always tell you? See your target. Keep your head up. You know, all of those different things. And so, you know, obviously that takes away spearing. That takes away the potential for targeting and all of those different things. So it's a safer way to tackle, but it's a different way to tackle. There's no, I mean, we weren't chasing giant donuts at practice when you and I were playing back back in the day. (laughs) That's right. On how to grab and twist, right? That that was never taught to me when I was a kid to tackle and then just twist as opposed to driving through the man, right? I mean, that they don't really teach that anymore. It's grab and then twist your whole body to bring them down to the ground, almost like a wrestling technique. Right. It's kind, of this, it's kind of like a rugby kind of, yeah. you know, off to the side kind of thing that they're teaching now. Yeah, absolutely. It's completely it's different. different. I mean, completely. They used to be facing the face of his chest, drive through the man, you know, all this stuff. And that's just not how they do it. <laughs> that's right. So no, no J.D. Bertrand. And I know some people don't, you know, consider that much of a loss. He was the team's leading tackler last season. There, you know, there is room for the linebackers to improve. Uh, you know, I, I think really, well, we'll get into BYU here in a minute. So I'll, I'll kind of save that. I wanted to mention one final thing and, and wanted to get your thoughts on this as a as a guy who obviously has coached a lot, Vince. Uh, Marcus Freeman's messaging to his team has shifted. Started off, it was finish is what he was talking about at the start of the season. And now that has kind of uh, moved to execution and preparation. So here is what Marcus Freeman had to say about that this week. Point of emphasis, post-practice, right? And in, in our coaching meetings, and that I tell the coaches, coach every play, right? Don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about, you know, did we win the game, how we did in practice. Just coach every play, right? And coach these guys, and the players have to hear that and say, okay, I want to be coached every play, you know? And that's been a big point of emphasis for me is that, 
I don't care if we complete the ball. I don't care if it's a tackle for loss. What did Johnny do on this play? Did he do his job? Yes or no? You know, if not, then why not? And let's fix it. And so that, to me, is more important than anything, is that our coaches coach every play. And we evaluate every play and not worry so much about the outcome. And so it's a point of emphasis. If we got to stop practice, stop practice. If we are in the middle of a scout team period and we need to stop it to correct somebody, stop it and correct it. Because we can't just go on and say, okay, hey, we made a good play. Johnny didn't do his job, but we, we, we scored a touchdown. Were you less likely to do that in August? No. Uh, probably. Okay. Probably. I didn't. You know, sometimes it takes failures to really evaluate how you're leading. You know, and it shouldn't take that, but for me after the marshal game, I, I kind of said, hold on. Let's let's really, really look at how I am as a leader. Where can I improve? And it starts with me. It starts with the head coach and making sure that, you know, you really improve um, as a leader. And one of those parts was like, hold on, I'm not – Let's stop worrying about finishing because that's more outcome-driven, right? Let's finish this game. We're up in the fourth. Finish the game. Let's really evaluate every single play and make sure we're executing. So interesting comments there for Marcus Freeman. And, you know, again, like when you talk about a first-time head coach coming into this season, you, you can look at it like, well, he he came in. He had a very specific way that, that he wanted to do sure. things. And as a first-time head coach – I think it could be easy to get stuck in the thought that, well, you know, we don't need to panic. This is only two games, even though, you know, we're, we're Owen two. you know, he, he could very easily kind of get stubborn about it and sure. just say, we're not going to change. We're going to, you know, we'll, we'll stick to the plan. We'll ride this out. Things will get better. But he went the other direction, Vince. And, you know, we have seen yeah. a difference over the last couple of games. Well, and I, and I tell you, I'm not overly surprised on a few things. So number one, that his original message was finished. What is it? What was his only head coaching experience going into the season? It was Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. They didn't finish, you know, and and so that was probably the offseason mantra. Like, we have to be able to finish games. Finish, we finish, not, finish. Yeah. dominated that game, but you didn't finish. We have to finish. And when you're talking about conditioning and weightlifting and all of those things, that's a great message. Finish is a great message when you're talking about doing things that you don't really want to be doing in the summertime, right? It's a great yeah. message. Adapting his message, I think, tells us a lot about who Marcus Freeman is. And we saw this when he was a defensive coordinator when – he, you know, messed up on the call against Florida State, right? And Giving up, went up big and, plays early on. Went yeah. up in front of the team. It's like, hey, that's on me. I need to change. We'll get this. He did that again as the head coach. So, I mean, he's shown us that he's not going to be stuck in his ways if they're not working and that he can be held accountable if things aren't working, right? And he actually kind of mentioned that when he was talking, when somebody asked him about all the head coaches being fired, he's like, that's the business that we got into. Like you have to take, you know, blame for your failures and, yeah. and you know, that's, it is what it is. Right. And so he has no problem taking blame and falling on the sword. It's how he adapts from that is what is going to make him or break him as a head coach. And as of right now, now granted it's two games after the failure, right? He has adapted and he's pushing forward. It's a very small time capsule of of information that we have but i like where things are trending and that he is able to take a step back and we can see 
on-field tangible byproducts of that change. And, you know, at least it looks like it anyway, because right. things are getting cleaned up. Now, it's still not perfect, but you've seen things starting to get cleaned up. You know, like the, the you know, refresh focus on, right. you know, like Harry Heastan type stuff. Like, we're not just going to do a rep to say we did a rep. We're going to do the rep right. You know, right. those kind of things. You know, and that's like, you can see the offensive line getting better. You can, you know, you, we, we see a tangible difference with some things defensively, you know, again, now there are things that, that still need to clean, you know, get cleaned up linebacker play still has to elevate, but we've seen the defensive line make, we've seen both lines take big strides forward. And I I think when you look at the success of this team over the last couple of games, it really starts there on both sides of the line of scrimmage. No question. And he wanted to go in and be able to run the ball and stop the run. Right. And and we kind of looked at him like, okay, great you're a defensive coach of course that's what you want to do (laughs) but they're starting to show that a little bit more and I don't think that he's stuck in the mud with that approach but when you can do those two things you are going to be a successful team so you know I I think that that's accurate and I love this comment here by Derek Calmer sorry if I butchered your last name but he says don't you think that's easier to do early in your career when you're figuring it out as you go to a degree, yes, I agree right. with that because you and don't. I think we're have, probably going to be along the same lines in what you're going to say here. So go yeah, ahead. you don't have the track record. You can you can kind of switch things up and and all of that. But I've seen plenty of new guys who think they have all the answers though too, and they don't want to change, and they think that they have all the right answers. Right. So it can go both ways. And I agree with this statement though. And you can get caught up in, okay, well, my message was wrong these first two games, so now I'm going to change message. Well, what happens if that message doesn't right. work? Yeah. And then you fight, you know, it's like now six weeks in, it's time for a new message. So you've got a new message like every two to three weeks. Right. And that kind of thing. And, and like, that doesn't fly. Yeah. And Jesse has told me before about a coach that he had in college who was basically like every time he would read a new article he would come in and like this is the stuff that you know now we're talking about that you know yeah. that kind of stuff and i think you can get especially because you're a first time ahead right. coach right. and you're trying to figure yourself out i like you that. know i so i do think it's easier but you also don't don't want to be changing messaging every 3 to 4 weeks or whatever you know so you want no, you don't you want to find some consistency and right. be able to stick with it at some point absolutely you you have to be able to find whatever message seems to be working and stick with it and live it live it and breathe it yes as the head coach and model it for that matter i mean marcus freeman said it in that in that uh, soundbite right he's like we weren't really doing this in august we're doing it now i'm holding my coaches accountable for doing it. I'm doing it. Like you have to be able to model it. It can't just be word speak, right? Because then got t- players on your team, like Jesse, for example, they see right through that players, right. whether it's at the high school level, <clears throat> the college level, they see right through you if you're not genuine. And if you're not living what you're saying, and Jesse is a perfect example of that, right? He saw right through that coach and you roll your eyes and you make fun of him with your buddies behind his back. And that's what you do, right? So right. you have to be able to embrace whatever message that you're sending. Right. Uh, real quick, before we move into uh, BYU, uh, Oscar Bravo Golf Yankee November is uh, is asking how your new job is going. He hasn't been able to catch a live show, he said, for a I while. Appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate So I'm wondering if he's an OBGYN. Is that how that works? Did uh, I do that right? Uh, that 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 looks like it. That so looks like it. 
All right. Well, good for you. So my job might not be as going as well as yours, but I will say that it is going very well. I love it. It is something new every day. And uh, I come home emotionally exhausted every day. So, but it's awesome. I absolutely love it, man. I feel the power in the walkie talkie, man. So it's, it's awesome. Thanks for asking. <laughs> All right. So it's Notre Dame and BYU tonight. The Cougars are four and one led by seventh year head coach Kelani Sataki himself, a BYU grad. They uh, have their wins over South Florida Baylor, an impressive win over Baylor in yeah. overtime. Uh, and then Wyoming. And then most recently they beat Utah state 38 to 26 a week ago last Thursday, their lone loss is to Oregon coming into this game. Offense, pretty solid. You know, not quite as gaudy, I think, as the North Carolina numbers, but they've also played, I think, a better schedule than North Carolina was playing. But they're averaging a little over 34 points a game. They run for around 152 a game, 293 passing. Again, like balance on par, I think, with North Carolina. Um, Whereas the Notre Dame defense, I think, stacks up fairly well with him. Jaron Hall, really good quarterback. Like he's, he looks like he should be more mobile, but he doesn't really take off. He only has 64 rushing yards, but he completes 70% of his passes and he spreads the ball around really well. And they also, he's only been sacked seven times and they haven't had two of their best receivers for most of this season either. And he's still thrown for over 1400 yards and 12 touchdowns so far. Well, this is going to be a challenge for Notre Dame secondary, right? I mean, I I feel like that's one of the strengths of this Notre Dame team. And on top of that, obviously, the front of Notre Dame is a strength. So those two things combined, I think are, are, they're going to give Hall fits, to be honest with you. I, I really yeah. do think that. Now, he's incredibly accurate. So you're going to have to not only cover well on the back end, but you're also going to have to get in his passing lanes as a defensive line. And you can't let him get loose. I mean... He doesn't have the gaudy numbers on the ground, obviously, like you mentioned, but he can go and move the chains if you let him score it out, right? So outside of the first series against uh, uh, North Carolina, the Notre Dame defensive line did a great job of not over-pursuing the quarterback on pass rush and things like that. And, and they made Drake May look like a redshirt freshman or two freshman, whatever he is. I think he's a redshirt freshman. They made yeah. him look like that, right? Every other game, he's been on fire. And it's funny because they talked about him on the game day show and how amazing he's been and all the gaudy numbers he's put up. They didn't mention the Notre Dame game where (laughs) not so much. Right. And so I think Notre Dame has the opportunity to really make Hall look pedestrian. This offense is going to have to score. I know that sounds ridiculous. They're going to have to score to win this game. They're going to have to put up some good numbers to win this game. And I just don't see that, excuse me, being the case because I have a lot of faith in the secondary and what they're going to be able to do against these receivers that everybody's talking about. Right. They've got four receivers who have all have at least 15 catches and 192 yards. And like, again, like you stack that up to Notre Dame's, it's just like, oh, it's not even close. Right. You know, as a group, the receivers themselves, this is just the wide receivers, 76 receptions for 1,060 yards. Those totals represent 62% and 72% of the Cougars receiving production so far through five games. And again, like Notre Dame's wide receiver production is around 42% total where, you know, again, you're looking at BYU. Like if you look at the median there, that's about 65, 66%. So it's night and day different 
you know, the way their offense is functioning. It's like you would think that a, a an offense would be functioning through the wide receivers. Gunnar Romney has been hurt. He had four catches for 51 yards against Utah State last week after 34 catches for nearly 600 yards last year. And Pakua Nakua, who had 43 catches for 805 yards last year, he's had both ankle and hamstring injuries. So, you know, those are two of their top receivers. They haven't in, even been you know, completely healthy so far. And Keanu Hill has made it up in the meantime. He's averaging over 20 yards per reception and four touchdowns so far this year. So again, it's going to be a challenge, but I think as far as BYU goes, this is probably one of the better secondaries that they're going to see tonight as well, Notre Dame's. Yeah, no, I agree with you uh, completely. And and that's going to be what it comes down to. You know, we, we talk about how the trenches are going to be super important, and they are. I mean, whoever wins the trenches is going to win this game. But this is going to be a nice test. I mean, I don't think, in my opinion, you know, Ben Morrison hasn't been challenged as a starter like he's going to be challenged today. Cam Hart has been average to better than average this year. This is an opportunity for him to kind of elevate his game a little bit. Tariq Bracey has been unbelievable in the slot. Let's see what he can, you know, I could go down the list of the depth chart and what we'd be looking for from this team, but they're going to get opportunities to show people how good they actually are because BYU. They're not great at running the ball. They average about 150 yards a game, you know, about right. four yards a rush. It's okay. It's okay. But they're if they're going to win, they're going to have to throw the ball around the yard. And so the defense is going to have to step up and not allow that to happen because they average almost 300 yards in the air. Yeah. Defensively, BYU is allowing 26.4 points per game and allowing over 162 rushing yards per game, which ranks 93rd in the nation. Solid pass defense, only 175 yards per game. Uh, they've they've picked off four passes and forced a fumble. And again, really, to me, Vince, it, it comes down to that 93rd ranked rushing defense and oh, what yeah. Notre Dame is able to do. Because like, you look at that Utah State game a couple of weeks ago, Utah State ran for almost 150 yards in the first half alone. They had to throw a little bit more in the second half and so didn't run as much. You go back to the Oregon game where they ran for over 200 yards against them. Baylor had some decent rushing yards as well. This just looks like the, a big opportunity for Notre Dame to be able to run the football against the Cougars. No doubt about it. I mean, they're, they're giving up 175 yards a game. And, you know, Notre Dame, th- that is where they are trending right now. You know, you've got the the three-headed monster of running back that – of running backs, excuse me, that Notre Dame has to employ and the offensive line has gotten better each week. And so they're going to be a run first offense today. They just are. And if they can successfully run the ball, that's going to give them the opportunity to play action and throw the ball down the field and do all the things that we want to see Drew Pine be able to do. And then you throw in a little bit of scheme from Tommy Reese, you know, a la the Logan Diggs, you know, throwback pass and all of those different things. You know, you're going to have opportunities because if BYU wants to win this game, they're going to have to stack the box and challenge Notre Dame to throw the football. Okay. BYU's only giving up 100 and uh, what is it, 175 yards a game through the air. That's not very many. Right. And so they feel probably pretty confident in their secondary and what they can do. So they're going to stack the box and they're going to challenge Notre Dame to run the ball successfully. That's where this game comes down to it. Can Notre Dame run the ball? And I think it kind of becomes a strategic 
matter of what personnel that you want to use as well because BYU has shown if you go 11 personnel, they're going to go with three down linemen and they kind of, you know, they they spread out their linebackers. There's a lot of space in there for Notre Dame to have a chance to, you know, to just out of 11 personnel to be able to run it. Absolutely. If you go 21, yeah. there's a better chance they're going to bring an extra lineman in there, you know, so, but that's yep. where Notre Dame has excelled as well with more of the two back stuff. So I'm really kind of curious to see how that little chess match plays yeah. out tonight. Well, and that's, I, I want, I so want to see two back offense. I mean, that's, they're going to be they're going to be really good in the two back offense because you, you've got guys like Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs that can catch the ball out of the backfield. You can move them around. You can put them in motion. You can start them off in the slot. I mean, there's a million different things that you can do with the two back offense, and then just leave Audric Estime in the backfield. Okay, I mean, it, it is you can be extremely creative in the run game with the talent that you have at running back if you're Tommy Reese in Notre Dame, and so that's what I anticipate seeing, and then. Like I said, you get success running the football and opens up anything that you want to do in the pass game. Yes. And it's yes, an opportunity so. for these wide receivers to kind of prove themselves on the national stage. And Notre Dame has obviously shown with that two back, even if you're going to bring down the extra lineman, that they can find these receivers in the passing game as well, or not receivers, hit these running backs in the passing game as well. And then, of course, you've got Michael Mayer and, you know, on and on and, you know, so they're again it's it's all a matter of okay we're going to show this what are we going to do out of it because they've shown that they can you know that with these last couple of games and against North Carolina okay we can we can play action to Audric Estime but now we're going to hit Logan Diggs sure. on this pass and you know because when they drop down that extra defensive lineman it just creates more space for the running backs and the tight ends to have to to kind of make some hay out there Rob wants to know who on offense is going to be the difference maker tonight? How would you answer that? I, I I think it has to be Drew Pine. I really do. I mean, you know, you or I could get up behind center and hand the ball off to Audric Estime and <laughs> go like this all the time. You know what I mean? Like, we can do that, and I have full faith that Drew Pine will be able to do that and get him in the right play, et cetera. <clears throat> but he's going to have to make plays downfield. And whether that is going to be a Tommy Reese design to, for easy throws and things of that nature, that's great but he's going to have to hit some windows and he's going to have to throw balls down the field that are more than three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Right. Yes. And I, I, I think this is spot on, right? I think Irishman and I are on the same page. He says, spot on Vince, that the, this then Notre Dame has to make the most of the opportunities that come against the stack box. I want to see a Lindsay long TD and Tobias get some catches. Of course we want Tobias to get some catches. We talked about that, but you're going to have opportunities for Braden Lindsay down the field. Number one, and number two, you're going to have a lot of opportunities, I think, for Michael Mayer, because if they're going to stack the box, they're not going to be in nickel, right? They're going to have an extra linebacker in or an extra defensive lineman, for example. If they do that, I mean, granted, anybody against Michael Mayer is a mismatch in Notre Dame's favor, but I love, love, love Michael Mayer against a linebacker, okay? Oh, yeah. So, you know, if you want to stack the box, you're not stacking it with a nickel. You're stacking it with a linebacker. I like our chances throwing the ball to number 87. Yeah, I agree. All right, we're going to uh, hear from Jared Lloyd, the BYU beat writer here, kind of get his take on BYU and kind of what's going on with the Cougars. Coming up after that, we've still got our game day rapid fire, and we'll have uh, some of our picks as well for uh, for the national games 
today. But for right now, we're going to bring in Jared Lloyd. Name BYU and the Shamrock Series, of course, coming up this weekend. And Jared Lloyd is with us. He covers BYU football for the Daily Herald and Herald Extra. Dot com. Thanks, uh, thanks again, Jared, for uh, for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. I love talking football, so so this is great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this matchup. Should be a lot of fun. One that's been a long time coming. Yeah, you you know you're exactly right about that. And I was thinking about that. It really has been. This this is one that was kind of cooking, you know, for a long time, and we're finally getting that. And this is you know, it's also one. It was supposed to be a BYU home game, and you know, as they continue to negotiate this thing, it ends up being in Las Vegas and part of Notre Dame's Shamrock series. And I know kind of, it seemed like maybe back in the summer, you know, kind of leading up to this, I, I, I know maybe not all BYU fans were happy about how this turned out. How are they feeling right now heading into this game? Is there any resentment kind of lingering at all? I think there's a little disappointment because, uh, you know, BYU did have Notre Dame come to Provo a couple times and, you right. know, I, I think there's that that national cachet that the Notre Dame brings, and they were looking forward to. I mean, originally it was a six game slate that they signed on for, and that was going to be four in South Bend and and two in Provo, and and the Provo game. You know, just with the evolution of college football, both for BYU and for Notre Dame, kind of made everything kind of not happen the way it was originally supposed to happen. And, you know, frankly, I enjoyed my trips to South Bend, and I think BYU fans did too. There were a lot that made that trip and uh, got to see BYU take on the Fighting Irish in South Bend a, a couple of times and and kind of looking forward to that return trip. But, you know, Tom Homo and BYU's director of athletics, I think he he wants to keep a really good relationship with Notre Dame. I think that's really important to him. And so finding a way to work to make this game happen – and BYU is going to have a lot of fans down in Las Vegas. They always do, so that's sure. not going to be a big deal. I, I, I think that I think he's satisfied, but I do think there's some fans that would have loved to see this game be in Provo. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's it, it's not the first time I guess things have turned out this way when you know when Notre Dame gets involved in a series and stuff like that. Um, Kalani Satake, he is now in year seven there at. Uh, at BYU what's what's kind of the temperature on him at this point is he is he still pretty well thought of there oh he's he's you know considering what BYU's been able to accomplish in the last three years now there were some doubters heading into 2020 because you know they'd had a really you know a couple of mediocre seasons and there were some people thinking well you know is he really the right guy and and as you know the uh the the way that uh, the college football world is Sean the the patience with with coaches is it seems to be shrinking year by year you get less and less leeway as a coach but you know the way that they played in 2020 came back with a really strong campaign in 2021 you know started out well here in 2022 I I think there's you know and the fact that he's an, a BYU alum the fact that he played for the Cougars and has a, a, a tremendous passion for BYU football that resonates with most BYU fans and you know, sure, everybody wants to win the national championship every year, and that that's at most institutions that have any sort of tradition, and that's not going to happen. You know, that's just not realistic. But he's absolutely, you know, done a great job, and and you know, you got to you got to give a guy credit when you know they've they've lost a total of five games in in two and a half years. That's that's a solid solid showing. Absolutely. Well, you know, in the the Colorado job just came open as as you well know and we've seen already now five power five jobs come open just in the what the first five weeks 
of the season. I'm curious when you look at Colorado, like when you look at a school like BYU that's been able to, with multiple coaches, sustain some success out there, whereas a program like Colorado really has not been able to find that footing. Why do you think BYU has maybe been able to be so much more successful than than a, a school like Colorado that that's you know been in a couple of different Power Five conferences? Well, I think BYU embraces what it is. It's a religious institution. It has some very significant demands that it puts on on athletes that come to BYU. They're expected to to follow, not do, just do well academically, but also you know and, you know some of the honor code things that they have, and and they embrace that. They 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 want athletes that want to come and and live at that standard and 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 you know as well as playing great football and. And I, I think because of that, BYU has been able to establish a culture and build off of that. They, they do a great job in recruiting. I know a lot of times BYU doesn't get, you know, highly regarded, you know, highly touted recruits. A lot of times, you know, they, they're not high on the recruiting rankings. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to those, to be honest, Sean, because to me, every athlete needs to prove themselves at the level they're playing. And all these recruiting stuff, they, they haven't proven anything until they do it at the next level. And so BYU has just been able to really embrace that. And because of that culture, they've gotten in a lot of talented guys, developed a lot of talented guys, you know, been able to, to keep their coaching staff together. In, in a lot of regards, that's, I think that's underestimated in college football when you're able to get good coaches, keep them around so, so the players know what the expectations are, understand what they're trying to do and are able to buy into that. And I think that's all been beneficial for BYU that they've been able to, to use that. And we'll see how it, how it pays off when they go to the big 12 next year, because then it changes a little bit. You start playing the same teams year after year and they get more and more familiar with you. So you have to be able to do things a little bit different than you do in BYU's current independent schedule. Well, and they, you know, they did, it's been what about a dozen years now since BYU made that decision and, you know, has been independent how how did it did it go the way they thought they you know did it go the way they thought it was going to go slash the feeling now as they make this segue into the big 12 you know what what do fans think about that well i know byu fans feel some vindication frankly i mean they feel like byu's tradition i mean they've got a national championship they've got a heisman trophy winner they've had a lot of top 10 top 25 teams over the years you know, frankly, since the advent of the passing game under Lavelle Edwards, BYU has been in the national conversation for much of the last 50 years. And yet they never were given the same credence, probably partly because of politics. You know, BYU as a religious institution, you know, particularly the West Coast and the Pac-12, which was kind of the natural geographic fit, politics definitely came into play with that. And so to finally get an opportunity to join you know, rejoin TCU, join Baylor, join, you know, some of these other schools that that have some some similarities with their religious, um, you know, religious approach, as well as, you know, just, just some great, you know, some great institutions in the Big 12. I think BYU fans do feel, hey, it was our time a long time ago. Now we actually get to do it. I think independence was about as good as they could have asked. I mean, they played a lot of big games and a lot of great places had a lot opportunity for their fans to really show up and support the team across the country. And, you know, I, I've been to, I've been to games in, in all, all corners of the country and seen BYU fans sometimes even outnumbering 
the home fans uh, yeah. at some of these games just because they've got a national following. And Notre Dame understands that because they, oh, they're absolutely. able to do that as well, you know, because right. they've got such a national brand. But it really helped BYU build that brand and and set them up. And particularly the last couple of years, the success also put them in a position where they were a natural fit for a conference looking to expand. I noticed for for the big names, you know, that BYU has on its schedule this year. There's no Utah on the schedule this year. Is there any sort is is the future of that rivalry in doubt at all, especially with BYU making the move to the Big 12? What's going I on think there? It, yeah, I think it has to be, Sean. I think that they have to look at it. You know, you look at these nine game conference schedules. You look at adding a you know, you add a, 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 a non-FBS opponent a lot of times to that schedule. That's 10 games right there in, your, in both conferences. And the fact that they don't play each other in conference means that, uh, you know, BYU and Utah only have a couple of games on their regular season schedule that are even possibilities anymore. And, you know, when BYU was independent, they could work around it a little bit more. And Utah was willing to work with that, you know, depending on what Utah's schedule was. But I don't think it's going to be as consistent, which is sad. You know, I think teams like Florida and Florida State have been able to make it happen year after year. But it has helped, you know, having not as many conference games. And I just don't know how, you know, BYU and Utah are going to work it out being currently in different conferences. Now, is conference realignment done? Could they eventually end up in the same conference somewhere? Sure. You know, who knows how that's going to play out. But at this point... I don't think we'll see it every year. I'd like to see it as often as possible because it's such a fun game here in Utah. You know, that, that, that rivalry battle is just, you know, it's, it's something that football fans look forward to every single season. And, and the years that it hasn't happened, it, it just doesn't have the same buzz between, you know, across the entire state. Yep. They had a little uh, different kind of rivalry game, I guess, last week against Utah State, and they improved to 4-1 and one after winning that game and they kind of had to turn it on in the second half to to end up you know, winning that game by 12 points were you surprised at all at how competitive that game ended up being you know i was a little bit surprised but i knew utah state was going to come in and give everything they had i mean that's they 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 feel like you know BYU and utah often don't res- respect them the, the aggies feel that they're not as respected as you know as BYU and utah and and so they come in with that chip on their shoulder and they really changed around what they were going to do. They brought in a new quarterback and really changed their approach. And it worked really well for a half. But BYU was able to wear them down. And, and in the end, you know, the, the W is what matters. And that's what BYU got. Right. Was it the most impressive performance against a Utah State team that's that struggled quite a bit? No. And I think BYU looks at it and says, hey, we, we need to play a lot better football if we're going to have a shot in the next couple of weeks against Notre Dame and Arkansas. But you know, at the end of the day, they got the win. Uh, they didn't. They, they were able to stay relatively healthy, which was big, and they had the extra couple of days. I know Notre Dame's coming off a bye week, but they did have the extra couple of days because it was a Thursday game, yeah, and true. those those extra couple of days do make a difference. So they're able to 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 have a, a little bit more time to get prepared for this game against Notre Dame. Got a pretty experienced quarterback in uh, Jaron Hall. Thirty three touchdowns, just six interceptions combined in the last couple of years is is it fair to say that they pretty much go as he goes he's their best player that uh, you know as far as skill positions he's the guy that makes that that offense go and you know he is so much fun to watch I've actually watched him since high school he's a local kid here in the area and watched him grow up his his he's a legacy kid as as well his dad Kalen Hall played at BYU back in the 
in the 1990s when there, I, I believe there was also games against Notre Dame back in those days, but uh, you know, he, he comes in and plays with such level-headed, he's, he's such a level-headed kid. He doesn't get too high. You know, if there's a mistake or problems, he doesn't get too low and, and he doesn't throw a lot of bad balls. Now there's a couple of, of passes. Every quarterback has a couple of passes that maybe either could have been intercepted or should have been intercepted that weren't. But for the most part, he puts the ball where his receivers can get it, and it's really hard for defenders to get to it. He makes good decisions. He's a veteran, you know, and he, t- he takes care of the ball really well. And that's kind of what BYU wants him to do. He's not necessarily asked to go out there and throw 50 times a game and, you know, just light it up like, like BYU quarterbacks of the 80s and 90s. But manage the game. Don't make turnovers. Make smart calls. Make good reads. And he throws a really nice ball. He's, he's really shown that that he can put the ball in a lot of different windows, the back shoulder fade. Yeah. You know, he can throw it deep. He can do a lot of things. And and he really is, Sean. Like, I, I really believe that BYU plays and wins when he plays well and gives them that chance. And, you know, that that really – the offense really depends on how he's doing. Well, he, he seems to distribute the ball well, but the receiver who stands out is Keanu Hill, who's the guy, you know – 20 yards per catch plus compared to the other guys, you know, a little bit more bunched up in their uh, yards per catch totals, I guess. What maybe kind of sets Hill apart, do you think? Well, Hill does a really good job getting getting the ball down, you know, getting downfield and making a play on the ball and on the D ball. That's why his his yards per catch are so are, are so high. He does he gets a lot of attention down the field. And he's really had to step in and and play a bigger role since BYU's top two receivers have been injured. Not at a hundred percent. I don't know if either of them will be at a hundred percent this this week. But he's stepped into that and been that big play guy. They've gotten some other, you know, some 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 nice plays from some other possession guys that have have really allowed Hall to move the ball around. And you know, he he's not trying to spot. You know, he's not trying to to lock in on one guy. He's really good at trying to see what the defense is going to give him. And then get the ball to the right guy and 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 make the most out of it. And you know maybe that's a five yard route, maybe that's a twenty yard route, maybe it's a fifty yard route. And and he really does try to 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 read that and 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 does a good job with it. And so Hill's been able to to benefit on a lot of those deep passes, and and he does a good job down the field. I saw you gave their offensive line a C grade for last week's game. Is that kind of their biggest, pretty much their biggest offensive question? Do you think is just the play of that line? Well, it's. You know, the expectation that BYU had because they brought back seven, eight guys with experience, talent, the the you know, there there was a high expectation that this offensive line could potentially be one of the best BYU's had. Some of these guys are getting, you know, national award attention, even draft attention, and yet they haven't really seemed to be quite as good as I think um as they expected to be to be honest. I, I think they expected to be better than they they were. I mean, in the first half against Utah State, BYU had negative 21 yards rushing. And part of that was a, a fumble, a, a, you know, a, a ball that got knocked backwards. But most of it, they just weren't running the ball very well. And so there is a, a little bit that, that that unit needs to elevate its game. And C was, you know, they, they were definitely average, in my opinion. I feel like they they have the capability to be a lot better than that. They're big, they're physical. They're experienced. I don't know if they're as fleet of foot or you know as agile for some of the the run schemes that BYU is running. And so defenders have been able to beat them to spots at times. 
but yeah, that that line, that group, it it, it really, I mean, it's been great in pass blocking overall. It really has done well there. But yeah. the run block, there's definitely some some area, uh, quite a bit that they can improve in in that aspect of the game. Well, on the other side of the ball, they rank 93rd in the nation against the run, and Oregon was really able to exploit that with over 200 yards. Utah State ran it really well in the first half against them last week. How how big a concern do you see that in this matchup specifically against Notre Dame? I think it's huge, and I think Notre Dame's proven that it can move the ball on the ground and then you know take advantage of what that opens up, and I, I think BYU is fully aware of that. And, you know, they, they really do have some questions to answer there. How much of it is scheme? How much of it is execution? And how much can they clean up in both areas? Because, you know, a lot of what they've tried to do against Oregon, against Utah State, and to a lesser extent against Wyoming um, was was to, to try and take, so, take away some of the short passes and, and some of the things that they expected. And then those teams came out and ran the ball a lot more than, than they anticipated. And the scheme and the execution both weren't great. There were a lot of mistakes. And so Notre Dame, I, you know, I'll be very surprised if Notre Dame doesn't come out and say, hey, we're going to try and test you the exact same way. Right. And they've got the, the line and the running backs and the ability to do that. The question is, is can BYU avoid the mistakes, the missed tackles, the, the, you know, the assignment um, breakdowns that allowed those teams to be really successful? I think that that's a, a pretty significant step from what we've seen in the last couple of weeks. So I do expect Notre Dame to have some success on the ground. And, but uh, you know, BYU has got to limit that and not, you know, not let Notre Dame control the game with its run game. All right. So when you look at this matchup, Notre Dame, BYU, BYU wins. If what happens Saturday night? Well, I think the, you know, we've just been talking about, I think it comes down. I think BYU wins if it's able to win the battle in the trenches um, I think that if Notre Dame controls both the offensive and defensive lines, then I think Notre Dame wins because Notre Dame's going to run the ball. It's going to be able to control the clock and do what it wants. And, you know, then you open up the, you know, the, the, the uh, play action pass and, you know, getting the ball out to the wide receivers, tight end, obviously a fantastic tight end. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a lot of options there um, as far as what they're, they're able to do if they're able to control that line of scrimmage. And, and the same things on the other side of the ball. BYU is not able to run. If they're one-dimensional, Jaron Hall's really good, but that really, you know, that allows the Irish, you know, linebackers, blitzers, defensive linemen to just pin their ears back and go after him. So BYU's got to be strong at the point of attack. And, you know, this is basic football 101, right, Sean? You know, win in the trenches and you win the game. That's it. But BYU's big enough and physical enough to be able to match Notre Dame. But I really feel like the team that's able to, to get the edge in that area is going to be the, the team that comes out on top. Yep. I think that's kind of what it all boils down to as well. Great stuff from Jared Lloyd covering BYU football for the Daily Herald and HeraldExtra.com. You can see all his BYU stuff there at HeraldExtra.com. Com. Enjoyed it, Jared. Great stuff from you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have uh, Enjoy the game Saturday night. Thanks, Sean. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a really fun contest, and, and we'll see what a lot. We'll learn a lot about both teams from this game. I think so, too. Take care. All right. So that is Jared Lloyd. Can you hear me? I guess I should start off with Vince. Okay. <laughs> you just never know. Coming back in and out of these segues with the microphones muting themselves and all that good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff from Jared there. And, uh, you know, we hadn't had a, an opposing guy for a little while. And I'm, uh, I got a, a Stanford guy lined up 
for next week, and I, I think most people seem to enjoy it. So we'll we'll try to continue that as much as possible. Sometimes they can be hard to, to track down, though. Well, and it depends on the opponent. Like sometimes the opponent that Notre Dame will face doesn't have a ton of people covering them. That's exactly so it. That's it exactly is what it, it is. You know. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, it's game day rapid fire time as we continue with IB countdown to kick off Notre Dame and BYU coming up tonight before we get officially into rapid fire i just this is not a question but <laughs> I, I think we just both have to acknowledge how happy we felt seeing the philadelphia phillies come back oh. and score six runs in the ninth inning against the cardinals yesterday right beautiful it's beautiful and uh, i got i never mind i'm not going to go there but i will <laughs> i will say as a cubs fan i was extremely happy to see the cardinals blow it and you and i talked on thursday one of the rapid fire questions was, do you like the wild card, you know, situation being a one gamer or a series? And we both agreed that a series was the way to go. Uh-huh. Man, last night I was really hoping. And it now was you're, you're just wishing that, it, that like that would have been so epic oh. for the Phillies to score those six runs, shut down the card. The Cardinals did get a run back, but still, but then just to walk off with that and go on to the next yeah. round. But it is. It is two out of three, and yep. they're playing. They they play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so it's boom, boom, boom in succession. The Mets lost last night too, so now they know that they have to pitch yeah. Jacob Degrom tonight in a uh, in a do or die type game against the Padres. What did you think of that decision? I think we I don't remember if we talked about this on the show or after the show, but what did you think about that decision? To you know, he came right out and said, "I'm I'm put you know Jacob Degrom's going to pitch game one of the next series and blah 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 blah." Yeah. Kind of backfired. A little surprised, little surprised. You know, it, it's a luxury to have Scherzer and Degrom, but Scherzer sure. just got rocked. Yeah, last night. So I, I, I was a little surprised. Yeah, that that they would go with that strategy, a bold strategy. Yes, it was Cotton, Cotton but you know, yeah. so now even if you come out of this series, that pushes Degrom back potentially one more game when you're into the next round series against the Dodgers. You know, if you get there. So, no, no. I, I'm I've always you. said. You, you got to win this one before you get to the next one. Mariners so. didn't take that approach and no. uh, paid off well for them. That's right. All right, Vince, rapid fire. Since Notre Dame is playing in Las Vegas tonight, what are you willing to lay your money down on for the Irish for the rest of this season? Oh, there, see, the rest of the season thing is tough. And so the over-under for the season was eight and a half wins, right? Yes. So I'm still, I'm still holding on to that. I think that'll actually happen. Uh, I, I feel good about that still, and so I, I would I would continue down that road for sure. Um, you know, I was actually trying to put together a little bit of a parlay for today's game, and my my DraftKings app was not cooperating. It was telling me I couldn't parlay this, that, and the other, and I was really upset. Really? For this game, I was thinking, estimate over 60 yards. I was going to take Notre Dame minus the three and a half. Depending where you look, it's three and a half, it's four. Either way, yeah. I'm taking Notre Dame minus the points. Uh, I was going to take Drew Pine over one and a half touchdowns. And I I can't remember what the over was set at, but I like the over. I think the over was probably set at around 50. But I, I saw I saw end of the week, it was like 50, 50 and a half. I think okay. it was initially maybe 51 and a half. So, yeah, it's still in that would, 50-ish range. I would take the over at 50. I, I think, you know, based on my score prediction – I think it's going to be more than 50, so I would take the over with that as well. So that would be my parlay for this game specifically. You know, all the other, like, season props that you and I talked about going into the season, they're all, most of them are offensive, obviously, and I think they're all garbage at this point because the offense hasn't really done a whole lot. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you covered all the season stuff, and I'm, I'm still not sure on the night. Like, today is obviously huge in terms of, you know, at least the nine wins. Is that what you said, nine wins? Uh, it was eight and yeah. a half, so yeah, I feel nine. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, still have a chance for that, and I think I, you know, might have uh, put something down on that at the start of the season. But <laughs> I just, I, I, I will say, I, I think that I'm, I'm much higher now. Again, still room for improvement for Drew Pine, but I'm much higher on him so far than I was, sure. you know, at the end of the uh, the Cal game, for or not the Cal game, the uh, the Marshall game, yeah, for sure. I'm going to say he's going to have over 20 touchdown passes Ooh. this season. Okay, and I'm going to say Chris Tyree to me. Maybe this isn't, you know, I don't know if this is going out on a limb at all. I think Tyree is going to have at least a thousand yards from scrimmage this season I like and that. the defensive side i'm still trying to figure out like the turnovers like we're gonna have to do an over under on turnovers probably next week you know because they are still lacking and you know yeah. al golden says well they come in bunches and stuff like that i think i'm still willing to say that they will force at least 10 turnovers which is not a lot but based on where they are right now that would be kind of saying something you know just to get <laughs> to 10 so yeah yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm willing to uh, to lay okay. on right now. All right, I like that. I, the turnover one is tough because you would think that they would have had a few by now, and they obviously have not. And it's been very de- depressing, frankly, that the def- and the defense. It's not like they're not playing well. And that's my bigger issue. I think is that the defense isn't not playing well. They're just not forcing turnovers. Yeah, and it's like, guys, you're killing me here. Come on, and it and it. And it should start with what's going on up front. If we just, you know, like again, like Bertrand got some pressure last week and got the ball, or two weeks ago, and got the ball away from from May. You know, the the North Carolina quarterback. Well, so, and they're like twelfth in the country in sacks. And yeah. I mean, they're they're getting to the quarterback. They're doing good things. I think they're going to get to the quarterback tonight, but they're just not getting those turnovers. And right. uh, it, it's. I really thought the turnover thing was going to be a major thing for this team this year. And it just really hasn't. Yeah, me too. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Fill in the blank. A decisive win over BYU would make you feel blank for the rest of Notre Dame's season. More positive than I am right now. You know, like I, it, I'm not going to say it makes me feel like they're going to do crazy good things or, you know, whatever, but I, I think it makes me feel more positive. I think they have an opportunity they have an opportunity to win the rest of their games. Now, will they do that? That's that's a whole other conversation. But they have an opportunity, and this is one step along the way. It's a win against a ranked team in a neutral environment. That's a big win for Notre Dame, no doubt about it. The number 16 team in the country. I, I, I like that from Stymie. He feels encouraged. Yeah. That, would, that would be great. Salty uh, says piffy. <laughs> Salty's always salty. I love that. So, But, yeah, I mean, I, I would feel more positive about it. Yeah. I think now, and when I say decide, you know, using the term decisive is obviously fairly subjective. What you consider decisive, I would say at least a couple of touchdowns and a clean looking game. I'm not saying a perfect looking game, but I'm saying a clean game, no stupid stuff going on. No, like you're up by, you know, even three touchdowns or four touchdowns. And all of a sudden you give up some sloppy plays at the end. Like I'm talking about a clean game, start to finish where you have shown that you are decidedly the better team. Because again, this is, 
after Ohio State, this is probably the second best team on the schedule yeah. to date. You know, like to when date, you look yeah. at, at both sides of the ball. You know, you know, again, North Carolina was a really good offensive team, but the defense was atrocious. So I think if they beat this team decisively, that we are seeing a Notre Dame team that we at least thought that, you know, closer to the team that we thought this Notre Dame team was going to be yeah. this season. You know, we may have come into this season, you know, kind of with with the goal of college football playoff and stuff like that in mind. Obviously, that went out the door with the loss to Marshall. But I, I think if they pick up a decisive win here today and we see those things cleaned up, then I think that that this is this is the Notre Dame team we thought it was probably yeah. going to be, and they've put some of the, the those early problems behind them. They're inching closer to it, you know, and, and obviously yeah. this is not the offensive team that I envisioned with Tyler Buckner at the helm, but they don't have Tyler Buckner anymore. So they're inching closer to a team that can be competitive in big games. Yeah. Do you buy or sell the Irish having more than 400 rushing yards over the next two combined weeks against BYU and Stanford? I will buy that big time. I think that that is, I think they could go over 200 today, which means they only have to get, you know, a buck and buck 75 or so against Stanford, which I think is very, very doable. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely buy that. I think, you know, that's going to be the focus of the offense is going to be running the ball and any pass game is going to be coming off of the run game. So I like it. I will buy that, buy that, buy that. Yeah. John Christoffick says Notre Dame can still make a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. You're right. They can. can. A lot of work to get to between here sure. and there. Eight straight wins <laughs> that they're going to need to get to that, I believe. But you're right. They can. And yeah, Stanford's rush defense is awful. It is amazing <laughs> where the Stan- you know, the Stanford program was built on some of the things that we've talked about with Notre Dame and what, you know, yeah. Brian Kelly slash Marcus Freeman, you know, have tried to build this team on down in the trenches. They had such physical offensive and defensive lines. They're giving up over 200 rushing yards per game right now, Stanford is. So that alone right there, seeing them coming in next week and the fact that Notre Dame, I think, could have a chance, you know, will have a chance to be in that ballpark today against BYU. Now, again, like if if they're not, if they don't run the ball well today against BYU, that's going to be a big red flag, and we're probably going to be questioning right. a lot of other things. But I think they will. I think they're that they're going to be up over that 400-yard mark for the next couple of games against the Cougars and the Cardinal coming in here next week. Buy big on that one, baby. Yes. Shamrock Series Week, the 11th edition. Do you like the Shamrock Series? Would you like to see it go away? What do you think about the state of the Shamrock Series? I honestly like it, and I think I might be in the minority on that one. I like the idea. I think they might be running out of venues. They've repeated a couple of venues, I believe, over the 11-year series. But San I do, Antonio a couple times, for yeah, example. But I, I, but I do like the, the uniform thing. I mean... As a purist, obviously, I love Notre Dame's home and away uniforms. I do. But it's fun to spice it up a little bit. And I, I kind of dig that. And going to Vegas is a cool opportunity. Going to Lambeau is going to be a cool opportunity. Going to Chicago or Indianapolis, not a cool opportunity. It needs to be something <laughs> bigger than that, in my opinion. But going to Vegas, I think that's what the Shamrock Series is all about. Going to Lambeau, that's what the Shamrock Series is all about. I dig yeah. it. I like it. It's unique. Nobody else does it. Nobody else right. has a Shamrock Series type of game. I like it. I think they need to stick with it. 
Yeah, I mean, other schools play neutral site games and stuff like that, and these kick-up classics or, you know, whatever, you know, your Duke's Mayo. I don't even know what they're all called. But, you know, so they get into some of these NFL stadiums and alternate sites, but the fact that Notre Dame can pack up, play a home game on the road, not quite every year, but, you know, again, this is 11 times now, you know, so they do it quite often. And the fact that they're able to mix up the uniforms because that's big to the kids and the recruits and – you know, being able to say we're the only school that's doing this. I, I think that it is huge. You know, we talked the other day about some other places maybe we'd like to see him go. It is going to be cool to see him go to Lambeau. You know, I'd still like to see him kind of get up there into the Pacific Northwest a little yeah. bit. I think Seattle would be a, a be great a place. One. And I talked about maybe, you know, San Francisco and that that uh, baseball park out there, you know, would be kind of a cool setting as well to do something like that so i i and that's you know the problem is you do get into a situation where you you start to like what places you know are really going to benefit you quite a bit and and that kind of stuff and like you mentioned i think kansas city the other day i mean arrowhead's a a really cool location and you're kind of right you know in the middle of the country and all that but yeah yeah no i agree and i i Frankly, I just want to go to an away game with you and Brian. I think the three of us could have a bang-up good time. And if that's, <laughs> that's in Seattle right. or Vegas or wherever, for like, sure, it just needs to happen. It was going to be Vegas, and then you know life happened. But uh, right. you know, other than that, I mean, I, that's what needs to happen. I don't care where we go. I think it, that that just needs to happen. That's right. All right, last one. Do you buy or sell October as the best sports month on the calendar? It's the hardest, most exciting buy or you know, buy that I could possibly have. You've got the baseball playoffs, you've got college football, you've got the NFL, you've got high school football, you've got, you know, there's other high school stuff that's accumulating and getting it like the fall sports are all getting into their playoffs, soccer, et cetera, volleyball. Like October is awesome. October is awesome. And I freak I love it. Every almost every day of the week. I've got something where either a trophy is at stake or a football game is being played or whatever. It's fantastic. I love it. And there's no better month when it comes to sports than October. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, going back to what we, what we were just talking about with the Shamrock series, Stymie said, this is a unique idea. I think would be kind of cool. Bristol motor speedway or something like that down in the heart of sec country. That would be kind of like next level because these, you know, these racetracks are so huge. You could fit like multiple football fields out there being yeah. able to do something like that. You know, maybe at one of these raceways would be cool. I don't know if you'd want it to be, you know, maybe too big because of the fact that, you know, the football game could kind of get lost in the enormity of the whole thing, but still, yeah, that would be, that would be very unique. Something that, that in those didn't infields are big enough. Didn't so. they do like, didn't Tennessee or something play at one of the speedways or something a few years it ago? It seems like it. It seems like it. So yeah. I'd have to look back at what the, the, the setup was, you know, for that, but that's thinking outside the box. And that is what the Shamrock series is all about. In my yes, opinion, I, like it. I think that your head is in the right place. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. And uh, Tyler, has a a question. How bad will Texas A&M or Texas ATM lose to Bama? I think the line I saw was minus 24 and a half. And I just, yeah. I don't, like, how much is Bryce Young going to factor into this if he's not playing? I don't know. You know, that is kind of an X factor. It's like you get to this point after all the trash talk over the summer, and then the Heisman Trophy winner gets hurt the week before yeah. the game. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's you know, like – 
who expected the Texas Alabama game to be as close as it was? Fair Nobody. Enough. So I've just got a sneaking feeling that this that it's going to end up being closer than any of us think it's going to be. I hope not. I would love to see Alabama. Just I mean, I do too. A and M. Don't get me wrong, but I just yeah. think that that's a lot of points. And at the moment, I know I didn't. I have a parlay going for a lot of the noon games, um, but I did not take that game. I didn't touch that game because it's yeah. just all the weird everything you mentioned. I don't like it. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's predict Notre Dame BYU before we as we get into our predictions here. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've kind of hinted around at my thoughts about this game. I, I think that, you know, it's a great opportunity for Notre Dame to pick up a quality win on the road. I mean, neutral site, obviously, even though the Irish are unranked going into this matchup. BYU is number 16, and Notre Dame is actually favored to win this one by three and a half, four, depending on yeah. you know where you make your picks, obviously. But, you know, based on the way these teams have played the past two weeks, I think the spread is appropriate, and I think it's a little bit low. And I think this game is going to tell us a lot about Notre Dame as well as the coaching staff and that they're coming off the bye week and a victory over a North Carolina team that can obviously score a ton of points, and but they give them up in droves, right? So who is Notre Dame? I think that's the biggest question that we're all looking for. You know, who is this Notre Dame team? Yeah, And can they run the ball like they did against the Tar Heels? Can they get the receivers more involved? We talked about that earlier in the show. Can the defense continue to do what they've been doing from a scoring standpoint against good offenses? I mean, what they did to Ohio State, what they did to North Carolina. I mean, they held high-scoring offenses to very low point totals, right? And so these are all questions that I'm looking for answers to, and I think we're going to get a good idea of where things stand. Uh, you know, by the time we wake up on Sunday morning or we're doing a, a post-game show at two in the morning or whatever it ends up being tonight. <laughs> yeah, you'll already be up Sunday morning. So. Yeah, exactly. But my 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 final prediction is Notre Dame 37, BYU 20. So I think it's going to be a big win by the Irish. Yeah, I'm not too far off there. I agree with everything you've said. You know, Again, this is a team Notre Dame should be able to run the ball against, move the ball against. I'm, I'm not saying they're going to be, again, as porous as North Carolina, but this is, this is a defense – that Notre Dame should be able to own down, you know, at the line of scrimmage where it all starts. And, you know, I, I just keep going back to the fact that they got pushed around by Oregon, really got pushed around for at least half the game by Utah State last week. Uh, my score is not too far off from yours. I've got Notre Dame 38, BYU 24 when it's all oh, said and done. We are right in the neighborhood of each other, yeah. Yep. So I, I think it's going to be a couple-score game. I mean, it should be a couple-score game. I know Brian has this – thing where he predicts games about what it should be and what it will be i, I i'm not that smart i i just i was gonna say i don't I, know how you separate that <laughs> i can't but he had like he's like this is you know i can't do that i just predict on what it should be uh because that's what it should be and so i think i think notre dame should be better be a couple scores better than byu in this right. one so if if there's a better out there and it's minus three and a half or minus four take that all day and I think you're going to be a winner. I really do. Right. All right. Let's get into some of our big picture games. We've got eighth ranked Tennessee at number 25 LSU. It is very difficult for me to take my <clears throat> pure hatred or not hatred. That's mean. My <laughs> my disdain for the for LSU BK. program and BK and all of the above. Right. It's very difficult for me. So I'm going to try to just look at it from an analytical point of view. Okay. 
LSU's obviously entering a stretch of games where they are either playing a top 10 team or really tough conference opponent on the road. I mean, this is going to be a grinder for LSU. And it doesn't matter who the coach is. This is going to be a grinder. And the only respite over the next seven games is on November 19th when they play UAB at home. So they obviously kick off this stretch as they welcome the number eight Tennessee Volunteers to Baton Rouge. And I've mentioned this before, <clears throat> but unfortunately for the Tiger faithful, this game's at 11 a.m. Central time, which I think is yeah. hilarious because, of course, they would want that game to be a night game. And that's a significant loss in home field advantage for LSU. I mean, there's no two ways about it. <clears throat> now, when you add the the Brian Kelly part of this, he has a tough time getting his teams ready for big games. And this is the definition of a big game. And so I've got Tennessee winning 35-24. All right, 35-24. I mean, Tennessee's got arguably the best offense in college football. And it's a LSU defense right now that's only given up 12 and a half points a game over its last three games. So, you know, say what you want about BK. You know, they are playing good defense right now. Both teams run the ball really well, just under 200 yards a game. They've both got mobile quarterbacks. Jaden Daniels, who has over 320 yards for LSU. And then uh, Hendon Hooker for, uh, for Tennessee, who's playing really well. He's completed 70% of his passes, just under 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, no picks so far. And he runs the ball well, too. Uh, at the end of the day, I, you know, I agree with what you're saying. This is going to be a grinder of a game. I've got Tennessee winning this one 31 to 22. I like that. I like that. It's a little closer than I have, but I think part of that is my bias towards BK and I'll admit <laughs> it. I can, I can admit it that I have a buy a, a negative bias toward B, a BK and LSU, but yep. I still think they're going to get, I, I still think they're going to get beat. I mean, they should get beat. It's number eight versus number 25, right? I mean, they should get beat, but I hope they do. All right, number 17, Tennessee, or uh, it's Tennessee, number 17, TCU, at number 19, Kansas. The Jayhawks right for the first time since 2009 and hosting game day for the first time ever. Do you want Do you want to kick this one off since this is like your game here, or? I'll go ahead, I guess, okay. you know, because okay. like I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm the lone guy riding my Jayhawks this week. So, you know, <laughs> I mean. TCU is good. Sonny Dykes in his first year, they're averaging 48 and a half points a game, second best scoring offense in the nation. They scored 55 against Oklahoma last week. Kansas was held to 14 against Iowa State. What impressed me the most is they held the Cyclones to just 26 rushing yards in that game last week. Because they that's like now again, Iowa State's offense is not going to be mistaken for Alabama by any means, but at the same time. KU's defense was kind of looking for some respect, I think. Again, you're going to see a couple really good quarterbacks. Jalen Daniels for Kansas, Max Duggan for TCU. They can both throw it. They can both run it. They've accounted for 16 and 13 touchdowns, respectively. I think that the TCU win over Oklahoma is kind of stuck in people's minds and maybe that's skewing them a little bit because, like, you look at the rest of their schedule – you know, they've beaten Colorado, who's already fired Carl Durrell. They've beaten Tarleton and SMU. So it's not exactly a juggernaut schedule. And there's no way that I'm going against Kansas at this point. Again, my alma mater, for those who might, you know, uh, not be up on that storyline just yet. I can't read. They are 
five and zero, and they are five and zero against the spread this year, and that means that they have been underdogs as well. I've got Kansas winning a shootout, forty-five, forty-one. Ooh, look at you! I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I try to look at the numbers. Obviously, you're one of my good friends. I, my heart says Kansas. Obviously, it's okay. It's okay. And, you got to go with what your head is telling hey, but, you. But here's the thing: you brought up my stat was that they're five and zero against the spread this year, right? And I, I think that I think that continues. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm taking Kansas plus the points. But I'm taking TCU to win the game. I think home field advantage is going to be huge for Kansas here. I really do. I think I, I want to say it's what plus seven yes. uh, is the line right now. So and it's part of my part of my five leg parlay. Today, see, so. see, there you go. So I'm taking Kansas plus the seven, but I'm taking TCU on the money line. So I, I think it's going to be a close game, but uh, Kansas can still win me some dough, baby. So here we go. Let's go. Let's go. All right, final game today. Oklahoma and Texas Red River rivalry. I'll let you go first on this one. Sounds good. I Look, the Red River rivalry. See, I, I knew I was going to do that. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> the Red River rivalry takes center stage this week as the Sooners take on the Longhorns, obviously. And it's always a noon kickoff, which I really do kind of enjoy. And it just kind of adds to the noon kickoffs that are going on, right? The problem is neither one of these teams is ranked. And maybe that doesn't matter in this particular game because it is what it is. It's a rivalry game, you know, and all of that. But I I have always loved the tradition of playing in the Cotton Bowl and, you know, being in neutral field every year for this game. And, you know, it's 50, like literally 50% is orange and 50% is red. And you could see literally see the line in the stadium. I actually kind of right. dig that. It is kind of cool, um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like I said, I'm not a fan of either one of these teams, but I am a fan of the game itself. Now, if we're talking about these two particular teams, what TCU did to Oklahoma's defense last year or last week was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. (laughs) And I had that as my underdog pick. I had uh, TCU winning out or winning, you know, over uh, Oklahoma. And that game wasn't close. Uh, Yeah, excuse me, Oklahoma. That game wasn't close from the get-go. I mean, TCU dominated that game, and it was all because Oklahoma couldn't stop anything. And this Oklahoma defense is really, really bad. And so because of that point alone, that point alone, I think it's going to be Texas 42, Oklahoma 17. And don't underestimate Texas getting their quarterback back. Even though I'm not a huge fan of Quinn Ewers for many, many reasons, I do think He's got a gun on him, and I think he's going to throw the ball all over the place on Oklahoma today. How bad the Oklahoma defense is also makes my point on why Kansas will beat TCU today, but I digress. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I mean, both of these teams got to figure out the quarterback thing. Dylan Gabriel got hurt. Quinn Ewers has been hurt. You know, it sounds like maybe Ewers is the better bet, and by now there might have been something on, you know, TV kind of saying who's going to play and all that stuff, but we've kind of been isolated in our own little spoons yeah. here doing this I show. I just assume yours is going to play, but yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. Texas can run the ball, though, but John Anderson, 515 yards. He's been over 100 yards in each of the fat, uh, last three weeks. He's a big part of why Texas was able to hang close with Alabama before Alabama ended up winning. I like Texas 34, Oklahoma 28. Okay, so a close game. Yeah, that's a, that's a touchdown. Again, I game. like some offense, but again, you know, like the quarterbacks could throw that off. It's right. just, you typically see some offense in these games. That's so. okay. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. I think Texas is going to hold them down. Going to hold them down, baby. That's right. Look that's right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today. We had a lot, as always, packed in 
yes. to this two-hour show. So enjoy the game tonight. Of course, there will be a post-game show later on tonight, live post-game show here on uh, the IB Irish Breakdown YouTube channel. Vince and Brian will have uh, the show tomorrow as well upon Ryan, the review. Ryan's going to take over for me tomorrow night. Okay. Uh, right. My twins have a birthday. It's the 13th birthday. It's a big deal around here. So I have to be present at that. So all right. Uh, so Ryan is going to take. So it's going to be Ryan and Sean, or Ryan and Brian, the the Iron Crew, and uh, they will be doing a pump for the review tomorrow night. But make sure you check in because Brian right. will be back with his his Ouija board of fun, you know. <laughs> That's and right. and uh, so we'll have a lot of fun with that. And Vince will be with me on Monday's show, yes, sir. IB Nation Sports Talk. So we'll uh, we'll have all the stuff coming up on Monday's show. Until then, we will talk to you later. Thanks again. Enjoy the game. Tonight, you've been listening to IB Countdown to Kickoff.